Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. As this show was recorded on Thursday, August 20th, we are now in a critical phase in the lead-up to the general election. The nation has been viewing with great anticipation the 2020 Democratic National Convention. The party's official event with delegates of the United States Democratic Party choose the party's nominees for president and vice president in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. This has been an historic convention with it being totally virtual. Even in the absence of massive crowds and fanfare, the programming has been full of contagious energy and moving presentations that have so far rallied the base. Presenters have included heavy hitters such as former presidents, renowned legislators, and even supportive rank-and-file Republicans. Some of the most heart-rendering remarks have also come from common citizens. And with the convention concluding tonight, among the most anticipated remarks will come from presidential nominee and former Vice President Joseph Biden, who will deliver his official acceptance remarks. With Senator Kamala Harris, his vice presidential pick now official, Biden has the awesome task of sealing the deal before the American public will be tuning in tonight in record numbers. The next 70 days will witness the most contentious and raucous political battle for the highest office in the land. Help us assess all that's transpiring. You know who we've turned to. Yes, that's right. We have invited back to bring it all Robin Winston, former chair of the Indiana Democratic Party. He's an accomplished business leader, skilled community development professional, and principal officer with Winston Terrell Group. Robin, as always, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Thank you, Clarence. And thank you, William. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, what's the saying? Uh, so many topics, so little time. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll dive in and out of some other relevant topics that are going on. But, of course, what's on everybody's uh, mind over the last few days has been the Democratic National Convention, and uh, there were there was some trepidation because a lot of people thought, with it being virtual, it just wouldn't have the pizzazz or the energy that, say, a live in-person rallying event would have. But people have been surprised, and um, I'll just start off with sort of a question here. I think up until yesterday, the big home run event was uh, uh, Michelle Obama's remarks, when she talks from the heart, people listen, and she's moving. Uh, Robin, uh, why don't you give us a sense of what you felt as the former first lady addressed the crowd? Well, first off, you know, when you, when you look at the captions that they do uh, when these people are speaking, this is a Princeton Harvard graduate. So extremely accomplished. Um, could have easily said, I'm going to cash in and I'm going to say right here in the East Coast, in the Boston to Washington corridor, be a corporate lawyer make all the money that I can. But instead, she went back to her hometown of Chicago and she practiced law there, but she also worked in government. before. And then along the way, made a determination that they wanted to give back. She wanted to give back and she 
obviously married Barack Obama and then devoted herself to being involved in public service. And what a difference she's made. I mean, look, we had her here in Indianapolis for a sit-down interview not long ago, and she was uh, releasing uh, her speaking tour. 12,000 people showed up. I mean, 12,000 people showed up and paid uh, to see her speak. She's just outstanding. She connected, accomplished. But these are folks that, you know, that they, for eight years, they devoted their lives to public service. They dealt with all the darts. They dealt with all the accusations, all the things that went on on direct and social media. And the other night, she finally said, you know, this is where our nation is going and that we could help chart a new course and do whatever we want to do. So I, I think she was outstanding. I mean, you know, there were people that were trying to lobby at the end there to see if Joe Biden would pick her as her uh, as his vice presidential nominee. But as far as first ladies go, I mean, her stature is the highest of any former first lady and still young. And I still think going to give a lot back to this country. I think as just a quick follow up, I think she has eclipsed even Nancy Reagan in a lot of ways. And Nancy, um, you know, she was held up on a high pillar by the Republican Party. Um, one thing I, I do know that she has never really hinted nor has been willing to take that leap into the realm of politics. And maybe at first I thought to protect her family, her daughters, but maybe she just saw all sort of the nonsense uh, that goes on as President Obama used to say, the season of silliness or whatever. And right. just said, I, I don't have time for that. Yeah, no. but, but we're going to be fortunate in a, in a few years, there's going to be an Obama library three, four hours, maybe four hours from where you all are yeah, that we right. can go to. And that's that's going to be phenomenal. Yes. I mean, just right up the road in Chicago and they built it on the south side near Hyde Park and Powers and Son, an Indiana-based minority-owned construction management firm is building one-fourth of it. So it's going to be, it's going to be great. I, I mean, I can't look forward. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting up there quickly. You know, guys, I'm, I'm going to have to put both of you on notice right now. You're going to have to get your own Michelle Obama because that night she was talking directly to me. <laughs> but, but that seemed to be the new um, um, way to present the, uh, the convention. First time it's been virtual, and I think it was much more personalized. I mean, I really think Democrats just knocked it out of the park with this convention. And Clarence, you're right, there was a lot of anxiety about doing it this way for the first time. But this was just a masterpiece, the way they put this together. It, you didn't have the distraction of the roaring crowd, the, the talking heads breaking down every uh, few sentences as people were speaking. And she looked straight into the camera. And like I said, she was talking to me. So you, right. you guys gotta figure out who you want you know, to connect with. <laughs> well, but you're I, right. Uh, I mean you're right, because I, I remember I was the chair of our delegation in 2000 when I was the state Democratic chair. And the, um, the delegates, they were there, but it wasn't as much fun being a delegate. You had to be one of 88 sitting in your seat. You couldn't move. You couldn't leave. You know, they'd introduce you to state senator so-and-so from Arkansas. They'd speak at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, um, maybe some mayor. And you were kind of relegated to just being an audience. Uh, by the time that Gore came along or, or Clinton came along that evening, it was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Right. Um, and remember, we're in Los Angeles. So at that point, uh, you know, folks on the East Coast were like, oh my gosh, what time is it? 
Um, so I think this is great. Here you have your own convention seat. You can make your own convention. You can get them to go to the refrigerator. You can do whatever you want to do. So I think it's been fantastic. And look who we've had. What do we have? We had uh, Eva Longoria. We had Kerry Washington, we had Tracy Ross. I mean, look at the people we've had as MCs. They've been stellar also. And the way they hopscotched around the country to announce uh, which states were presenting whatever delegates was just was uh, uh, very impactful. And you're right, yes, it, it was, was moving. It was moving. You know, it gave, it gave the viewer uh, a full sense and appreciation of who we are as Americans. And I agree. I mean, people, uh, something that really can be kind of, I guess, what perfunctory and just, okay, let's get this over with, let's rush through it. All of a sudden, they're sitting back like, wow, you know, I'm there projected at Guam. I'm, and yes, Puerto Rico is part of the United States. And it was good when he threw that in there. I was like, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, let, let's stay on this topic of just the convention so far, the format, the thematic flow. And, and Robin, you're a, you're a per perfectionist and a professional in dealing with format, thematic flow, strength of speakers. As you put some of these together, what's your sense? Uh, have, they, have they checked all the boxes on this? Oh yeah, I mean, anytime you do this, you're gonna somebody is gonna be chairperson of the Hurt Feelings Club. Okay, so just get ready. That that's just that goes on. So, oh well, I didn't get to speak, but 60 seconds. Okay, but a couple of things you did get to speak. Yeah, right. that's true. But but for 60 seconds. Yeah, but you did get to speak. Um, they've captured it all. Watch tonight. Now, up until tonight, we've not really focused on those who served our country in the armed forces. But you have Pete Marisop Ben who went in the Navy as a naval officer uh, while he was mayor, intelligence officer, and then Tammy Duckworth, who was a uh, pilot, a uh, army pilot who was wounded um, while she was on duty. So they're going to be there, and that's going to lead invariably into the mention of Bo Biden, the vice president's son. It's hard to juggle all of these. And remember, remember, unlike past conventions, we're doing all this from 9 until 11 in two hours. If you remember past conventions, I was mentioning earlier, it wouldn't be unusual to be in the convention hall at 2.30 in the afternoon. And then you'd be there till 11 o'clock at night. So to do to compress all this into time uh, is just phenomenal to see people pop up, to see Joe Biden walk in on his wife. But it also shows something else. It shows people that are, that are non-traditional voters and younger voters that we are addressing the advent of social media. And we realize our economy now is a Facebook, an Apple, an Amazon, an Alphabet, and a Netflix environment. So we are keeping ourselves in tune with the times by addressing it, not staying with the stayed behind the podium type, uh, type events. So I think it's great. Well, COVID has created a new normal in so many different aspects of our lives, and the Democratic Convention is no exception. So I wonder what kind of hybrid is going to come out of this once we're past this pandemic and, and we're looking at another convention. I, I would really like to see them keep some of this format, maybe not, not totally, but, but to keep some of it. Uh, so they need to figure out which ones uh, were the most effective and, and reach people uh, more than any other uh, part of the convention did and keep those around. Well, I mean, think about it this way. Let's say that, let's say that we're the Indiana delegation and let's just say that Next time it's in Philadelphia. If we're in Philadelphia and we are getting ready to do our roll call, it would be pretty cool to cut to Lucas Oil and however many people we got in Lucas Oil for the roll call to be done from Indiana that way or IU Stadium, wherever we would do it, 
to go back to, I really like the people going back to their state. Yes. For the roll call. It also showcased their state. That's right. And you have people standing in front of beautiful things like, I wonder what that is. I didn't know that was in New Mexico. So, you know, you had the governor the other night standing in front of the solo, uh, solar panel array. I think it was tremendous marketing for their states. You can't, you know, I did Indiana, so I can say amber waves of grain and all this stuff from the lake to the river. But you can't capture that behind a podium with a mic. But boy, if you're standing at the edge of Lake Michigan, you sure could, could reflect the state. And people would say, I didn't know Indiana was even on Lake Michigan in some cases. So right. I hope that they will make a hybrid. The other one is it's made it accessible for our supporters. It's very, having helped people get to the convention, you know, you get elected as a delegate, and then the first thing is, okay, so your round trip airfare to LA is $500 or $400. Plus you're there five nights at $250 a night for your hotel. Well, some people are, their costs are defrayed by groups, but a lot of times the delegates had to come up with that cost. That was a deterrent to being a delegate. So I, I hope that they will have a hybrid. I think it's great. Yeah. I, um, I noticed the uh, lineup, and you couldn't help but noticing the star power. Um, you, you had uh, President Carter and uh, his wife there, and she, of course, narrated just his life story and, and their impact on the country. And it took me back to the time when he was president. I thought he got a raw deal um, with the Iranian hostage situation and how they were released on the day of the inauguration. I mean, just brought back a flood of memories, but this man has been the most humble, um, just, I don't know, he's, he set a bar for just morality that is lacking. Um, and you can compare anyone to Donald Trump and that. I don't wanna jump ahead to that right now. But, uh, all right, so you had strength of speakers and then you had the up and comers. You had a, a AOC there and, you know, love her or not, uh, she was impactful and she timed her message. She didn't choose that as a platform to, to really go on some, on some tangents that she could have gone on, and, and in some respects, rightfully so. And then you had RNC Faithful. I looked up, and you had Kasich on there. You had Colin Powell come out. And, you know, we're, we're talking ahead of tonight's Thursday nights, the last night's uh, part of the convention. We don't know who the, who the surprises will be. But to have a Colin Powell come out there, what was your thought on that? Well, I, I don't, I, first off, I don't see George W. Bush hanging out at the soon-to-be Trump convention. Um, I, I just don't, the way, the way that he's talked about his brother and, yeah. um, and all those things, I don't see him being there. What I think you see is people yearning for a sense of decency. Right. Colin Powell, Colin Powell you know, obviously standing right beside George H.W. Bush and close to George W. Bush. Um, but he endorsed Obama in 08, and he knows his sense of decency and what's right. And that is star power. Because if you remember at one point, people were mentioning his name for running for president or vice president. That's right. That's right. That's power. Kasich basically said, you know what? <laughs> I don't have anything to lose. I mean, it's like, you know, it's almost a Trump line. What do you have to lose? I mean, you know, if you, if you stick with him, he's going to criticize you. So you go over here and feel good about it as you, as you move on in your life. And he stood literally at a crossroads. And pointed, and pointed that out. Now that's the governor of former governor of Ohio, Battleground State. So I, what you're seeing now, I think, is a liberation of people that want to be liberated on a sense of decency. Um, we also had star power because we had, there were no conflicts, no outward conflicts. There was no, we don't want Jimmy Carter at the convention. Um, we had Bernie Sanders speak. We had AOC speak. 
but uh, but we also had Joe Biden speak, and another up and comer is Kamala Harris. So you know, I, I still think that we have a vibrant party. We just have to win on November third. Uh, one last final follow up, and then I'll defer to William. Tonight is Joe Biden's night. What does he have to em emphasize to, as William said earlier, seal the deal? Uh, that he's normal, that he's decent, um, that he's not going to point to somebody in a crowd and insult them, that he's not going to be all the things that they've seen this guy do. Look, those of us that are students of, of this, I went to see George H.W. Bush in Louisville throw out a first pitch. I drove two hours down the road, sat there and watched out. He threw out a first pitch, waved to the crowd, but it was respectful. He's respectful right. because he was the president of the United States, okay? And I could say I saw the president of the United States. We had George W. Bush here for Indiana Black Excellence. And, you know, I got a chance to meet him there and, and saw him there. This guy has brought a whole different style to the presidency. And unfortunately, it's permeated to the American public in many respects because we take our cues from the White House. You know, we have a president who's prayerful like Carter was and, and, and thoughtful about those things and deeply committed like Obama. That kind of reflects on how we, at least I think many of us are. But if you have a guy that's bombastic and unruly and willing to, to say whatever he wants to do to, to offend people, then maybe that kid that's going to school at Bloomington North thinks that's the way life should be. Uh, maybe that young woman at Bloomington South says that's how I should relate to people. So I hope what Joe Biden shows tonight is decency. And, you know, to use my Angelo, when people show you who they are the first time, believe it. Well, this will be the time that he's going to show the American people who he is in many respects. And I hope they'll believe um, what he's like, because I have asked people, I've asked people that work with him. I said, OK, so on a Tuesday afternoon, rain coming down on the way to the airport. What is this guy like in the motorcade? And they said, just like you see him on television. There is no where's my umbrella. What staff person's carrying my luggage? Um, he is not anything other than what he is. And, and I think that we're going to see that come through tonight. I also hope that people will be a little yielding on what he has to say, because you only have so much you can encompass in such a time period. So, you know, he'll, he'll do what he's going to do. But I think what we're going to see is a true Joe Biden and the culmination of all those years of, of being Joe Biden. And, you know, having people out, we were in a receiving line here, and I don't want to be Joe Biden on this radio show, but we're in a receiving line here. And, and, and I walked up and, and uh, my wife is, is from back there. Her mother is from Newcastle, in Delaware. And my wife said that to him. He stops, stops in the receiving line and has a story about Newcastle, Delaware. And then he says, so where are you from? And I said, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. Has a story about the Pittsburgh Steelers and Western Pennsylvania. So he can identify. I was thinking about it today. I was thinking about it. If you watch those videos, you heard people with empathy say what kind of guy he was, what kind of guy he is from an elevator person to a railroad conductor. I don't know who's going to say that for Donald Trump. I really don't know who's going to, you know, sitting around the table. I don't know who's going to say, well, yeah, Don was a great what? I don't know what they're going to say. But they certainly are saying it about Joe Biden. Well. There's no shortage of sycophants who will say great things about Donald Trump, you know, but none, none of them will be true. But Robin, we go from the euphoria of uh, the Harris, I mean, I'm sorry, the Biden-Harris ticket, the Democratic Convention and how they raised the bar, to the real nightmare of this election possibly being stolen and starting with the, the postal scandal. Now, 
Louis, Louis DeJoy is going to appear before the House Committee tomorrow. But we've seen this movie before. Uh, somebody appears before the House and they grill him. But there's no, beyond that, what can they do? They have no enforcement uh, authority. It, this, this hearing just has no teeth to it. And unfortunately, the damage has already been done. Postal sorting machines sitting in, in garages and parking lots already disassembled. Uh, some of the people with the, the most experience at the top fired or laid off, people being moved around, things like that. So where, what, what do we have to look forward to uh, after this, after tomorrow's hearing? Well, first off, you're right. The damage has been done in many respects. Um, people have, and if you watch what Trump has done, he has attacked every venerable institution we have including, even though he would not say it, the U.S. military. Because you can remember he said, some of these generals don't know what they're doing. I don't know how he got that, but he has attacked every venerable institution humanly possible. Now we go after something that most of us don't want to even bother with, and that is the Postal Service. You are right that, they, that, that it raises doubt. Everything, if it raises doubt, people are like, well, I don't know, should I go vote? Should I send my thing in? Should I show up? Uh, and poll after poll has showed Democrats are more likely to heed the advice of Dr. Fauci and people about staying away from crowds, staying away from lines, and those things. What we're encouraging people to do are two things. First, the governor of Indiana could still say we need no excuse absence from voting in this state. He did in, in, in April or slash May, and our numbers were not as high in April slash May as they are now. He could do that, but he won't. So your listeners, one thing they could do is call the governor's office at 317-232-4567, 317-232-4567, and say we deserve to have the right to vote in a healthy location by voting from home. What happened when we did that in May? We had a half million people vote by mail. So they, they took advantage of that versus standing in lines. Now, for the people that stood in lines, I would advise you to vote early. Don't wait until November 3rd to be in lines because there will be some nefarious, crazy stuff that goes on. Maybe not in Indiana, but possibly in Indiana. But in these battleground states where you have a Republican Secretary of State or election official, I mean, look what they did in Georgia when, when Stacey Abrams ran. She was running against the guy who was the Secretary of State, and he declared 50-some thousand uh, ballots couldn't be cast. So you're right, but what you're doing here, illuminating it and telling people to be expecting that, means that we have a chance right now to, to begin to, to move things forward. I don't believe he's telling the truth, the joy. He said that he was going to, quote, stop, or they were not gonna take any more action, but then NBC showed some machines that had already been stripped out this morning, sitting by the wayside. We raised heck with our local post office here in Indianapolis. Two of them, two of the um, uh, the uh, boxes were damaged. Damaged. When all of a sudden did they get damaged? So we were like, when are you going to replace these boxes? I mean, they the duct tape on the boxes. So they put a brand new box in. Okay. So we just had to be more cognizant of that. But I still think no excuse absentee voting. Eric Holcomb could do it. Two three one seven two three two four five six seven. He could do it, stroke of one pen in the election commission that he appoints could do that. And the second one is vote early. 
don't don't wait till the very end vote vote early. And the voice you just heard was our good friend and guest for this evening, Robin Winston, a former chair of the Indiana Democratic Party. And he's an accomplished business leader, skill, community development professional, as you can hear, and principal officer with the Winston Terrell Group. Uh, he just uh, provided the full number for Governor Holcomb, and I'll repeat that this time, 317-232-4567. The phrase to use is no excuse absentee voting. Now, when we get mass numbers of people that do that, and the governor relents and signs that executive order, won't he be afraid like uh, three other states of lawsuits coming from Donald Trump, such as New Jersey, Nevada, and the three counties in Iowa, and Michigan? Will he, and, and Michigan? Oh, yeah, four. And will 21 states who are planning to sue as of this day planning to sue the United States Postal Service. Uh, well, Indiana, well, I know the answer to that one, but uh, there's 21 states that so far have said they may sue, but is he perhaps afraid that Indiana might get sued? Well, I think he's afraid that he might make Mike Pence and, and Donald Trump mad because yeah. you know they're under the control of, of the president and any state that acquiesced and does um, not with the president once that governor gets concerned about it. Um, after all, keep in mind, Mike Pence votes absentee. Donald Trump votes absentee. The Indiana Election Commission meets by Zoom, not in person. So, I mean, you got the, the commission that says, we are not sure we should do no excuse absentee voting, but let's do a Zoom call to discuss it. The vice president is not here election day unless he flies in unannounced, I guess he would. Um, and he could to vote, make a fan for that. But Indiana's not a battleground state, but he still may come in. And the president and his wife voted in the Florida primary by absentee. So I'm trying to figure out, the president's wife voted by absentee. It's not a safe system that they voted by absentee themselves. But we can't, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. What do I think will happen? I don't think the governor will acquiesce. I think he'll hold his ground and we'll have to get there early. And uh, maybe there is a federal lawsuit right now pending that some organizations have filed uh, in federal court here to try to overturn what they're doing. If that happens, then we'll have no excuse absentee voting. They keep missing the boat though. They keep thinking it's about inner city voters. I call it the Ikea Parkway. So when you get off 69 up there at Noblesville and, and try to go in, in the Hamilton County, those lines are, are long um, and traffic's not easy. So if you can make it home by six o'clock, you're great. If you can't make it home by six, you won't be able to vote. But that's their base vote that's gonna run into that problem. And I, I think that if they were smart, they would let people vote however they want it. Here's, here's the other thing. When they let people vote however they wanted, um, we had a record turnout. And we had 500,000 people vote versus typically 50,000 in a primary by absentee ballot. But, but we, you missed one important thing, Robin. Mail-in ballots are different than absentee voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> now, I mean, I, and I wanted to correct you on bringing it on because President Trump has said that mail-in ballots are different than absentee voting. Of course, it is, they are not. But... He, right. he made they're, the they're difference difference and how many people they they're yeah. different because he says they are so therefore they're different right well that that's the same as uh if it's on the internet it must be true <laughs> that's true and if it's wikipedia it's definitely true. <laughs> so right. robin you also mentioned that uh, donald trump has damaged so many vulnerable institutions uh some of those institutions also are responsible for checks and balances like the inspectors general, uh, federal prosecutors. And 
this guy who needs to be checked and balanced has the ability to just go in and dismantle the checks and balances. So if he wins, what kind of America do you see if this guy uh, actually is able to do enough damage to win the election? Because what I see is that we are on a steady, slow roll towards Russian-style politics and elections. And remember, if he had his way, Joe Biden would have been arrested by now. That's one thing he tried to do with this whole uh, Ukraine scandal. Well, and if he really has his way, Barack Obama will be um, under investigation. Um, the acrimony towards our former president, for no reason at all, is off the hook. Um, I would I would say that this really is a time for for voters to really square up and figure out where their value systems are. Uh, this thing is going to come down to value systems, and they're not. There's not a day, uh, William and Clarence, that I don't constantly trying to in my head think, okay, what's the voting going to look like, and who's going to vote for this guy, and who voted for him in '16? Can we peel away in '20? This election is going to come down to do suburban white women have they had enough of it? And have working class white voters had enough of it? And have all the folks who masked, protest, and showed their, their outright anger this summer, are they going to just walk around the circle in Indianapolis or are they going to go vote? So we're going to see all that. You asked, where does it leave America? If we reelect the president in the laundry list of things that he has done, then it will show where the American people's value systems are. And quite frankly, that isn't gonna be very pretty because we will have said we condone those kind of actions because you have one guy on one end who is as decent as the day is long. I mean, how hard-nosed do you have to be to not even make it from one end of Pennsylvania to the other end to stand and pay your respects to John Lewis? I mean, just to walk up, bow your head, try to remember two Corinthians, like he says he uh, does all the time, and then turn around and leave? I mean, how hard is that? I mean, you got a motorcade, you, you walk down the hall and say, you know, folks, I want to go up and see John Lewis's body. Let's get this up there. You block off the street, you're up at the Capitol about four minutes. You whisk in, you stand there, silence for two or three minutes. You turn around, and you go back. No way. I won't do that because he didn't come to my inauguration. We didn't come to George Bush's either, but George Bush came and, and, and was at his funeral. So the decency um, angle is important. The other thing is, is as people make a, a judgment call, is what kind of America did they not want to be, not for the next four years, but for 20 years from now, when these conservative Republican federal judges that they keep appointing are going to be moving up to the appeals court, some to the Supreme Court. What do we want to do as it relates to how we treat just common decency. And then how we, it's always puzzled me, um, if you study this, how a core constituency of his has been shellacked by this economy. I mean, people in Bedford, people in places that are his base, uh, Lytic, Paoli, um, they, Salem, they have taken it on the chin in this economy. And they should sit at home tonight and think, really? Things are really better now for me than they were before? I mean, I like the red and white MAGA hat, and I like the rally, but 
when it comes down to putting food on my table, is it any better? I don't think it is. So that's a judgment call that we're going to see on the American people's part. For those of us of color, we have got to go vote. Here's some, here's some numbers I hope you, you folks will keep in mind. There are 268,000 African Americans registered to vote in Indiana. 268. 81,000 have never voted of the 268. 81,000 of us have never voted out of 268. So it's about one third of the total registered people of color in the state have never voted one time. We have got to go vote this year. That's 81,000 people. You know, if half of those people vote, that's 40,000 votes that come to the table in the state. That can make a difference in some races down ballot and can make a difference in our state not being such a blowout like they predict, which I don't think it will be. So this is a judgment call that's internally for all of us more than any other time. This isn't about, you know, I heard the president one time, former President Obama say, this is about my legacy. If you care about my legacy, you'll go vote. Well, that's, that's admirable. But this one is about if you care about what's going on in our nation and our nation's future, are you going to get up and go vote? I'm encouraging my friends to do that, encouraging them to tell their grandsons to do that. Um, but we have to get people to go out and vote for this. Uh, Robin, I appreciate that because that resonates with me and hopefully for our listeners that are tuning in, listening to Robin Winston, that has res registered with you as well. Robin, uh, all that's all well and good and say if we get that number, if we get that push, if we just tilt the teeter-totter, if you will, and Biden wins. We have heard comments that the only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. I'll wait and see the results before I accept the outcome. So to William's point, what hope do we have for a free and fair election if on November, it won't be the third, say by November 8th, after the dust is settled, Biden and the landslide, even then, they'll, they'll be recounting somewhere. Um, if he opts to challenge everything and say, no, we need to do a do-over. I've heard that the other day from his mouth. If that's not a slap in the face of our Constitution, and, and then they had scenarios. There was actually, I guess, a committee that sat down of bipartisan people, I believe, to say, okay, say if January 20 rolls around, he doesn't want to go. Then, <laughs> then, then do we amass the former presidents and, and other respectable Republicans, um, maybe uh, former Speaker of the Senate, um, Mitch McConnell, because hopefully it'll be, there'll be a transition there. Um, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, do, do they just pay a visit in 1600 Pennsylvania and try to reason with them and say, hey, it's over? Ida Milani is standing there. Maybe it's over. <laughs> so what do we do? See ya. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I think what will happen is uh, people like that, I have found, you know, they're strong when they're strong. Um, people will begin to abandon. They already are. Ben Sass from Nebraska. I mean, I've I'm, I'm not seen in a party, people in a party, just basically say, I'm tired of dealing with this guy. You mentioned Colin Powell um, coming to speak. I mean, here's John Casey, governor of, former governor of Ohio, Ben Sass from Nebraska, um, Mitt Romney um, from, from Utah, and a former presidential nominee himself eight years ago. I'm not sure that they will, will stick around him as intense. Uh, particularly if we win, but we have got to win in a good number. Right, that's right. I keep telling people, if Hillary Clinton had won with the Trump numbers, 
the Trump campaign would still be filing lawsuits about Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and those battleground states. But I think combined, he won by like 70 or 80,000 votes. So we have to be prepared for that kind of thing by having a surge of voters. Um, the Detroit voters have got to come out. They dropped last night. The one reason we moved the convention to Milwaukee was the drop in turnout in the African-American community in the city of Milwaukee and among blue collar workers in places like Janesville and, place, and places like that. So in Wisconsin. So, we, so I think that that combination, if they come out, then I think we'll have a good turnout. So what happens if you think you're going to lose? Then you make all these impediments to making sure that people can't vote, which led to your earlier question about, you know, well, what about mail-in voting? What about the postal service? You begin to rig those things and put your thumb on the scale to make it not a fair and a level race by virtue of doing that, which we're seeing, seeing them do. We have to be cognizant and call them on the carpet about it, but we have to also figure out, and we're going to be doing that. We just did an email last weekend, I think, yeah, last weekend, African-American voters in the state um, that traditionally did not vote. It's about 120-some thousand emails we sent out. We're going to begin to start to tell people how to vote, how to do an absentee ballot. I watched uh, um, Brandon Marshall on last weekend, and he said he got some University of uh, Miami players together, former athletes, and he said he was shocked that these multimillionaires didn't know how to vote. Had no idea. They were actually asking him, what do you do when you go to the polling place? So we already know 81,000 African-Americans have not voted at all. And if you, about another 40,000 have only voted one time in the last eight years. So they, last time they voted could have been 2012. So that's 130, 122,000 of our voters out of, out of 268 that have only voted one time in the last eight years or zero times. So we've got to really stress how to vote, how to go vote, where to go vote, what hours it is. Do you need a ride? Do you need help? Whatever we can do to try to get folks to the polls. Registration, I hope you guys will keep in mind. We did a lot of registration. We registered 71,000 people in 18 through our nonprofit, or through our 501c4. 81% of the African Americans in the state are registered to vote, 81%. Higher percentage than, than whites, 81%. Very few people of color. Now that leaves 19, I know, but the 19, for whatever reason, I can't get them. Or we can't get them. But, but eight out of 10 of us are registered to vote. So eight out of 10 of us are registered to vote, but one of three of us will not vote. So we've got to really make sure that we get um, our folks registered to vote and not to vote. Robin, yeah. what, do you, what do you make of uh, this latest Senate Select Intel Committee report? Uh, they're saying things like uh, Paul Manafort was working with a Russian intelligence officer that Trump campaign officials uh, tried to get advanced information on, on WikiLeaks email dumps and the Trump meeting. The Trump Tower meeting was part of a broader influence operation. I, I was really floored that this committee came out with that. And it's a bipartisan report. Right. And, and it's just, uh, it just, it goes counter to, to their behavior on this whole issue up to this point. So what what do you make you of this? Earlier, yeah, I think you mentioned earlier about the, the hopeful retirement of Mitch McConnell as Senate Majority Leader. Um, they're looking out for number one. I mean, they're like, hey, it wasn't me. You know, you know, um, the same people that issued that report didn't vote to impeach Donald Trump for the things that are in that report. So right. it's a bookshelf. We call it a bookshelf. It'd be nice. It'd look pretty on a bookshelf. 
but right now there's they are really facing upward battles to hold on to the U.S. Senate. So I think part of that was to inoculate themselves and say, oh, no, Susan Collins, oh, no, I took a tough stand. I signed off on that report. I think he was wrong. But when he was up for impeachment, what did you do? You represent Maine. What okay. did you do? That kind of thing. That's what I think. But, but she was concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned. <laughs> and, and it's like her signature tagline, oh, I'm concerned. I'm um, concerned. And then the other revelation that we talked about before we went live was Steve Bannon being arrested with his finger in the cookie jar. That was a big cookie jar for him to have his hand in. A million yeah. plus dollars. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and still counting. So they, yeah. they yeah, still counting. That's what I heard this afternoon. They haven't figured out how much money people gave towards that because there's been, of course, not a lot of reporting on it. Um, you know, these, these guys, I mean, I can't even name them. We'd be on the show till tomorrow morning. There's a lot of people in jail right now because of this guy, or charged, or indicted. But the significance of today is it's their justice department. Right. It's not you know, you, oh well that's the that was that was uh, you know uh, Jim Comey and the Sally Yates and the, and the Loretta Lynch or whatever her name was and and Eric Holder and that was no this is your justice department and you gotta really think about it in order for you to go after a top former assistant to the president and bring him in court, you have really better make sure under this president that you get your case locked off. Now, the only Machiavellian thing, as crazy as it may sound, and we're in the crazy era, would be if you do that, and then you ex he's found not guilty, and then Trump can say, see, it was a big conspiracy, but buddy boy, the conspiracy is your people this time. That's right. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I mean, you walk in pretty sensitive meeting. Mr. President, you got a few minutes? Yes. Here's what we've got on Steve Bannon. Now they're going to go out on his yacht on two, on Thursday and they're going to arrest him, Mr. President. I think the first thing out of his mouth is probably a lot of things I can't say on your radio program. Some of it was, are you sure? And I think they would have to say, we are rock solid sure. Because that is a big, big charge to make. But there, there's nothing to prevent uh, Bill Barr or even Donald Trump from running interference on, on this situation again. No. But let's I mean, go back to what they gave money to. That's why, that's why you asked earlier, what does this mean for this and future generations? They gave money to build a wall. That's what they gave money to. This wasn't an inner city food program. This wasn't to get Chromebooks to help kids make it through the pandemic. This was to build a wall out in the middle of nowhere where even the Corps of Engineers said, we're not even going to bother with that terrain because it's so hard to get over it anyway. We don't want to bother with it. It's not cost effective. So he ringed people in to give cloud funding to build a wall along our border. Now, the downside of that is you now have tripped the wire, and somewhere tonight on television that they will show kids in cages, still in detention centers, and it'll bring up, well, why are we even talking about the wall? Oh, by the way, Mexico never built it. He said that would happen. And, you know, I just think it brings up, conjures the wrong image for him right now. But it also comes on the night of, now watch this, it comes on the night of Joe Biden's speech. So three quarters of the news today has been Steve Bannon's arrested. So you got, Part of the cloud out of the media of Steve Bannon's arrested, 
the other cloud out of the media is Joe uh, is uh, Donald Trump is in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So you're giving Joe Biden an even narrower window to make himself visible in this news cycle because the president's in Scranton and the top eight of the president's arrested. So very adroit from a media standpoint of pinching him down on both ends so that he's not he's not always the top lead story. MSNBC is lit up talking about Steve Bannon and mentioning Joe Biden's speech tonight, but, but Steve Bannon was the lead story all morning. And then you have uh, the Senate committee findings, the bipartisan Senate committee findings, which also takes a slice of the attention away from uh, Joe Biden. It came and, out right in the middle of this. Yeah, you're right. Now, now, one thing we've not talked about, and we've talked about the Democratic National Convention next week, as William alluded to, it'll be horror central with the Republican National Convention. It'll, they'll have to have a counter to this week. I don't think warm and fuzzy is not in their lexicon for next week. Um, I think it's going to be wear your dirtiest outfit because of the mudslinging, um, a lot of uh, conspiracy theory. Russia, Russia, Russia will be sort of every other catchphrase. But then the venue, how the optics look. He will come out on the White House lawn to deliver his acceptance speech. And remember, there were individuals that wanted to run against him, but states conveniently kept them off of any uh, uh, poll or, or ballot because they really wanted him alone to shine at his direction, no doubt. So the optics of the White House lawn as the backdrop, uh, and are we gonna hear more attacks on immigrants, post office, citizenship status of Kamala Harris? And out of all of that, what might be the, the most productive thematic flow for them? Well, it would be interesting to see what they do at Lafayette Park. Um, because you're still, you can only extend the perimeter of the White House so far. So you're gonna extend it a mile away. Um, all the way down the street is a big sign painted on the ground that says Black Lives Matter. So how are you going to, it's gonna be very interesting how he's gonna hold back the sounds of protesters while he's trying to do his speech. So I guess we're gonna drop pepper spray and flash bombs and clear out a one mile perimeter around the White House so that he can speak. I mean, is that really where it's gonna come down to? I think that's, that's problematic. Um, it'll be interesting to see other than Tim Scott, maybe J.C. Watt, maybe Dan Cameron, the Attorney General of Kentucky. I would like to see what, I'm gonna watch it. I'd like to see what people of color they highlight. I mean. Does Kanye show up? I don't know. That could be your surprise guest. He's running for president, but I, I just don't know. Is Kim Kardashian there? Is it a you know? Is it a Hollywood Squares type festival? I don't know what it's going to be like. I have no idea. But, it won't be you know, virtual. It'll, it'll be virtual, and will be well. It'll be partially virtual. I don't know who's going to be on the lawn. I mean, the way that he does it. What I've said to people this week is: so are we going to let high Price donors be the people sitting on the White House lawn while he announces re-election? Really? That's what we're going to do? Because here in Indiana, we have a law that you can't use our, our government facilities with political ads, things like that. They did that when Franco Bannon was up, and he never did, never used them. So I, I don't know what this game plan is going to be. It's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be a show. It's going to be, it's going to be a spectacle. Um, it's, going to, it's going to be interesting. Now, as far as... Um and again, I, I'm, I'm really sure that there'll be no warm and fuzzies. There'll be no look backs to Ronald Reagan. Uh, there'll be no look backs to any of the Bushes. Uh, so I don't think he really wants to add to his base. 
I mean, I think maybe references to what do you have to lose may be referred to over and over. But, yeah. you know, what will be the topics? Immigration, post office, because he's sort of stirring that up again, the immigration speak. Um, citizenship status on, on his, uh, his uh, opponents. And then the post office, he has to address how, he, how much he hates, vehemently hates ballots, uh, ball, uh, uh, mail-in ballots. So, so what do you think his themes will be? And to, to make it positive or productive, and that's a whole other issue, but what do you think he's going to spot off? Well, he's going to spot off the economy. Which, I look, I'm a political science major. I still don't understand. I mean, I guess because of Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, and, and those things being our, our drivers, Netflix being our drivers of our economy is why we have record unemployment at 28,000 points on the Dow, because that's the new Dow. So he'll probably talk about the economy. That's the one area in polling that he continues to lead Joe Biden in. So he'll tap that. So you can expect some CEOs to probably be part of, part of this deal. He always flips up the military. There'll be somebody there to, it won't be Mattis, obviously. It won't be any of the folks that served with him. John Allen won't be there, those people. But he'll find, probably won't be Mike Flynn, too problematic. But he'll find somebody to be out there to talk about how much he's for the military. Maybe Tracy, Tracy Atkins, country western singer, um, talking about how he supported uh, the uh, folks in the military. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't do something like that. The um, he'll, he'll, it'll be the Donald Trump show. Mike Pence will be like when you watch old TV and it, somebody's on Bonanza and they're not on the main screen, but they're on like when they scroll the credits quickly. That's how he'll do Mike Mike Pence. Um, I don't know that he'll have McConnell and those guys speak. The Reagan family's already asked, quit using Ronald Reagan in your speeches. He's already told, you know, he didn't get along with Bush 41. He didn't get along with Bush, Bush Bush's brother. Yeah constantly denigrating him. So I don't know. I mean, it, but it'll be a show. I can assure you of that. It'll be a show. They'll wheel out his wife. She'll stumble up to the mic and and, uh, and talk about how much of a family man he is and all those things. But, you know, I just want to see how they handle the protest. He's running, a, if, if you're a student of history, both of you all are, he's running a 1968 Nixon campaign. Except he does, he's, he's George Wallace and Richard Nixon. He's the racist and the, and the police guy all rolled in the line. And he's running that campaign from 68. Law and order, making, you know, showing the, the things in Portland, showing people out of control in the streets, saying I'll send in federal troops to do what I have to do. So I would imagine it would be reflective. Probably the national head of the FOP will be at his, his thing speaking. You're right. He's not going to work, work to expand his base. He's going to work to energize his base, which is why I keep coming back to, we got 81,000 people in our base that are not voting. We got to get them to go vote. I imagine the NAR will be there. Uh, NRA, oh, rather. NRA will be there. Yeah, they too. And, uh, and they're under investigation for um, just, you know, wasteful expense and questionable expenses. Yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, I don't know if private jets and designer suits have to do with protecting your right to the second amendment. But you did mention something that's another one. He'll, he'll, do, he'll do all the. Like it'd be like the old albums. It'd be all of his greatest hits. Immigration, you know, say it, you know, Adios Joe will be one of his cuts. Keep my gun, keep my job, red, white, and blue. I mean, it'd just be he'll just revisit an old greatest hits thing at a concert. That's what it'd be. It'd be the same thing. Won't be anything new. I can't tell you what this guy has said he's gonna do new for the next four years. I can't either. We have about oh a couple minutes left, and I, I want to defer to you for final comments, but I do want to ask William if he had another question as we begin to 
to wrap this up. No, I'm looking forward to Robin's final comments. Okay. Uh, Robin, uh, given all that we've talked about, and we've talked in the past about just Trumpism, and, and we've heard over and over again that this is an election for the hard soul of America. That's how Biden introduced himself as a candidate for president with that video. Um, maybe some type of prelude to where we are now. I mean, he came out introducing himself in a video that was very resounding uh, and resonating. And um, here we are, we're doing everything virtual. Um, America's resilient, but how resilient is America? In your, in your final comments, if you can maybe touch on that. Well, um, this time in 1619, on this date, about 20 of us made our way to Point Pleasant, Virginia. And we were coming to a new land. 400 years later, we are nominating an African-American woman to be the Vice President of the United States. And that's after nominating twice and electing twice an African-American to be the President of the United States. So I still believe that we are making progress, steady progress, but those who believe that politics doesn't make a difference should maybe start thinking about things that are of their own period personal interest. I'm aware of your time. Your student, for the folks down around Bloomington to listen, student financial aid is determined by who's in office. Your minimum wage is determined by that. Your school funding is determined by that. Pursuing those who have involved themselves in a criminal act at Lake Monroe against an African-American is related to who's elected to office. And that's at the local level. And that enough is enough to keep you busy. When you move it to another level, at the state level, there are all kinds of programs and things. And then we go to the national, that's great. Keeping it at your local level, voting matters at your local level. While it may not be attainable, to your one vote may not determine the presidency of the United States. It can determine the county council, can determine county, uh, county commissioners, the mayor, the city council. It can determine your state rep. It determines your funding. So I would just sum this up by saying that voting matters. We've come a long way as a people. I chide my Republicans that they've yet to nominate a person of color anywhere on their ticket for, for national office and elect one for national office. So we can talk about all the inclusion, big tent and all those things. The proof's in the pudding is not there. But we still have one of the greatest forms of democracy available. And we, it only takes a few minutes to go vote. It takes less time to do that than to look up the latest song on here. So you can go take that time right now and vote. And, and I just close, I'm telling everybody, don't agonize but organize and vote. Go vote. I mean, forget Barack Obama's admonition, it's about him. Forget John Lewis's admonition, it's about him. It's about you, it's about your cousin, your grandmother, your aunt, your cousin's brother-in-law, everybody that you know. It's about people that you guys have dealt with at first hand, right on, in, in your neighborhood, where a guy gets jacked up against a tree and people, somebody yells, get a noose. I mean, come on. We have a chance now to elect people that can make sure that we have a sense of decency that maybe I can't prevent that from happening. King said I can't legislate morality, but I can sure make sure you don't violate the law. Maybe they can do that. 
But the acrimony that we've seen that will affect that fourth grader or that third grader or that person involved in, in the community, maybe, just maybe, the people that will watch tonight will see a, a future president who will try to bring us together as opposed to divide us, which I think is our biggest problem right now. Well, on that note, uh, we want to thank our guest and good friend, Robin Winston, former chair of the Indiana Democratic Party, accomplished business leader, skilled community development professional and principal officer with the Winston Terrell Group. Bring It On is a multiple award-winning one-hour weekly public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting African-American communities beginning with South Central Indiana. Bring It On seeks to facilitate open and constructive dialogue among African-Americans and the communities they reside in. Bring It On airs Monday evenings at 6 p.m. on WFHB 91.3 and 91.1 FM, 91 .1 FM volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Listen live or download a podcast of the show at www.wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is yours truly with help from WFHB News Department Director Kate Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Ethiam. Graphic promotional illustrations provided by William Hosea with additional background tracks by David Baker. In WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.